Welcome to ECE Honestly. Hi, and welcome to ECE Honestly. Here we discuss, discuss, oh my goodness, the ups and downs of working in the field of early childhood education. So listen, hopefully learn, and enjoy. Before I begin, I would like to acknowledge with gratitude that I am speaking to you from the unceded and traditional territory of the Coast Salish peoples, including the Kwekwetlam, Tsleil-Waututh, Squamish, and Stolo peoples. So on today's episode, I am joined by one of our listeners and fellow early childhood educator who goes by the name of Ashley Anderson. So welcome, Ashley. Thank you. <laughs> so um, before we begin our talk today, would you like to let us know a little bit about yourself? Absolutely. Um, first of all, thank you so much for having me, Kayla. I'd like to acknowledge that I am sharing today from the unceded and traditional territory of the Inkla, Katma, and Silex peoples. And I'm an original born and raised Calgarian, but I've actually spent the last seven years in British Columbia, one year in Nanaimo and six years in Nelson, BC. Um, and I've been an early childhood educator for over 13 years, going on 14 now, with a colorful variety of roles from center director to co-chairing the West Kootenays ECBC branch, to a primary educator, to one of my first and earliest roles of a family day home owner and operator in Alberta. Um, I'm divorced, but repartnered with three children and I have another baby on the way. Um, and I'm currently working in an infant toddler program in Kelowna and actually all of my children attend there as well, which is super amazing. <laughs> And I've shared my journey over the last few years of being an early childhood educator, um, just growing up as a child with a high adverse childhood experience or ACE score, um, which inadvertently leads to mental health awareness and why I'm just in it for the kids. <laughs> well, thank you so much for sharing um, a little bit about your background and congratulations on you. um, your pregnancy. <laughs> That's super exciting. Super exciting. Um, <laughs> very exciting. <laughs> um, and I like how you say it, like we're in it for the kids. That's exactly, I think why most, if not all of us will always just go into the field, or why I hope that an educator would go into the field yeah. is <laughs> essentially in it for the children. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> so, um, the reason we're pretty much doing this interview is because back in the summer, which feels like a lifetime ago now, Mm -hmm. Um, if memory serves me right, we basically started talking, um, over Instagram, uh, due to a story that had to do with development and how it relates to, you know, feelings of safety and how we as adults now with the knowledge that we have, um, we know that that is something that is absolutely crucial. And we can now look back and see, you know, potentially see where we as children could have benefited from something better. And in one of the episodes of Easy, honestly, I interviewed my mom who has been doing childcare for 26 years. And she spoke about her experience needing childcare and how it went hand in hand with her having the ability to finish her education while also having peace of mind, knowing that I was going to be in a safe place. But, and this is the big but, um, if I had, because if I had continued uh, being, and I'm gonna use this term very loosely, uh, cared for, by my, again, very loosely <laughs> worded 
father, Mm -hmm. then chances are that I most likely would not be here today. And I really think that those kinds of stories and experiences are a big reason as to why as an adult, I chose not to pursue not only a career, but also the knowledge um, of early childhood education um, and everything that it offers. And I think that's why it was critical for me now as a, you know, quote, business owner, um, as of my own in-home multi-age program, not only to treat childcare as a business or or source of income, which I think, you know, can sometimes be the fine line that a lot of people who may not have the knowledge um, and will just open a family childcare, Mm -hmm. will open a family childcare for, but also, um, understanding that crucially this the space that I create needs to be a space where all children are valued and feel safe where children you know who may not have a stable home life can come into this space and feel peace and feel calm and know that there's safety and know that this is the place where their essential basic human rights are going to be met and more mm-hmm. right yeah, absolutely so, the world needs more people like you. I can't, I can't speak that enough well, <laughs> for the kids. Thank you. I really appreciate it. <laughs> um, but now it's my turn to basically give you the platform so you can tell your story. Um, and they, let us know, do you have a similar experience or story that played a role into why you chose to pursue early childhood education? I think stories like yours are incredibly moving. And I think as long as early childhood educators, we are early childhood educators, we dream of being these educators who are genuinely there to help reroute a child's path in life. Like I feel like sometimes we just have that dream role of, um, of wanting that, that challenge and overcoming that and that success story. Right. Um, And I'm so excited that your experience has driven your passion to do the same for our younger generation. Um, and I listened to that episode with your mother and I, I was so inspired by it because, um, because she felt so supported and that's why she felt the need to give back. And it was just, it was incredibly moving. Um, and my story doesn't involve an early childhood um, facility at all, actually. And that's why I advocate and why I am the educator today. I, I grew up in poverty in Calgary, the youngest of five children. Um, My parents were together in an unhealthy marriage until my father passed away in 2010. And in my household, it was, you know, it was seemingly happy on the outside, but under the surface, there was neglect. It was physical neglect. It was, um, it was psychological abuse. It was um, not caring for our physical needs and our, you know, our medical needs. Um, and you know, when I left in, or I, when I was in kindergarten, one of my siblings actually left home and, um, lived a high risk lifestyle and it resulted in her being placed in the Calgary remand center. And I believe she was 14 at the time. Um, so it would have made me very young. And so I would have been in the first and second grade when I actually went to visit her (laughs) in this, um, detention center. Um, and it just started this experience of speaking with numerous social workers and we had family counseling that was mandated by um, the ministry there and I would have been six or seven years old when this was happening and I still have you know vivid flashbacks of this 
And I remember yelling. I remember police. I remember my parents saying that they wish it were me who ran away sometimes. And, you know, I mean, my brain is still developing at this point. So, um, yeah, I underneath the fear of that negativity. Absolutely. That's those were the pathways that were grown. And, you know, in my brain is that that constant, that constant negative um, feedback. And so I had suicidal thoughts for as long as I could remember and had no idea that I was any different until I was in my early 20s, until I actually started taking my ECE in Calgary. Um, so there was a lot of emotional damage, which meant I was, you know, and I'll use the term loosely as well, but I was that kid in the classroom, you know, I was annoying as hell. And I had a lot of, um, what we called back then attention seeking behaviors. So, um, I had really low coping skills. I was always close to an adult trying to hold hands or physically connect with them, Um, I just had a lot of big, big feelings. And I remember feeling like something was always wrong. So as a young child, I was that negative Nancy or that Debbie Downer that we tend to complain about in our 30 something year old lifestyles. But at this point, I was a child, like I was a young child. Um, But the third grade actually rolled around. So I would have been eight years old at this time. And I was chosen to participate with Dream Take Dreams Take Flight um, Day at Disney, which meant I got to go to Disneyland for a day with this amazing organization. Uh, they're a national charity. I believe they've been operating since 1989, if I am correct there. And I actually found out a couple of years ago that my elementary school teachers had collectively decided that they wanted me to go because they had hoped my sadness would have a break for a day. They just wanted to give me that, that, that sense of fun, that sense of childhood, you know, in a time where I felt like nobody cared, nobody listened. I actually got to go and experience this amazing thing. And, you know, it, it really changed my life. It changed my path. And it was just a few simple, thoughtful and genuine connections. Yes, I did get to go to Disneyland and that was amazing in itself, but I'm still connected to the volunteers I was with that day. And it was because they did hold my hand when I needed them to. And they did listen to me when I would ask them to. And they did ride on that ride with me when, you know, when I needed a buddy and I didn't know how to connect with the other children I was going with. Mm -hmm. So my mother was a stay-at-home mom. Um, My family couldn't afford childcare in the 90s and especially not for five children, (laughs) So I was subject to a lot of neglect and um, exposure to a parent who struggled and suffered with her own mental illness. And I know now that if my family had access to affordable and quality childcare, that my mental health could be in a better condition as an adult. And I hear the arguments for those that believe families should be given money to stay at home and raise their own children. But I mean, I have to wholeheartedly disagree based on my own experience with that because I know that because I stayed home (laughs) with my parents, um, it meant a path where as an adult, I've spent so much money (laughs) on antidepressants and trauma therapies to overcome those hardships. And so I feel strongly after, you know, taking the program um, and learning more about child development that had I been enrolled in an enriching and safe environment for, you know, a good chunk of my childhood, 
I feel like I would have reversed some of those effects of that, you know, the ACE score. So yeah, that's, that's really why I'm an advocate here. It's why I stand up and say, Hey, we need to do this for the kids because it doesn't have to be those big gestures. You know, it's, it's about connection and it's about listening and it's about reflecting and it's about just being in the moment, you know, and wanting to be there. Definitely. Um, Well, first of all, let me say that I really appreciate you coming on and sharing such a very deep and intimate um, story because it's, it's not easy to be able to share those kinds of experiences and to be able to say, you know, this happened to me with the intention of hopefully, you know, not only maybe letting somebody else know that they're not alone if they've had similar experiences, but I think it's also, it, it can be scary, you know, to mm-hmm. share, you know, to be, to be that vul- that, to be that vulnerable, especially in a, in a public platform, like, you know, like this podcast. So mm-hmm. um, I, first of all, I cannot say uh, thank you enough for coming on here and discussing the, you know, this intimate topic with me. Um, I think it shows such bravery and you know such a that you're such a wonderful person and I'm so happy to hear that you know you're now in a better position and that makes you know that makes me happy for you <laughs> thank you I'm gonna cry I'm just so I'm gonna cry too <laughs> I'm just so grateful that you've given me this opportunity to share because you know sometimes when I have shared my story I've I've definitely been discouraged from it because it is a sad history and it's, it's a lot of negativity. And a lot of times I think that's what people hold on to. And they, they maybe don't hear the, that I've overcome or that I'm still working through it because I'm human. And it's so thank you. I really appreciate um, the platform that you have. And I, I love what you discuss on your podcast and in your post on social media. And I think, I think it's really amazing that you're, you're, making sure that educators um, are visible in this community, right? And it's, mm-hmm. don't stop doing this work that you're doing because <laughs> all of us would love to do it. And I love that you took the plunge and you started the podcast and you're a business owner now and you're setting the example because that's what it really is about, isn't it? <laughs> it definitely is. And I mean, I think what's kind of nice about this community and I think through I think now through social media, if we can use it in a, as a positive way, is the connection that we can make with other educators, you know, mm-hmm. like yourself, you know, we probably would never would have crossed paths had it not Absolutely. been for, for Instagram, right? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, and I mean, it's wonderful, because then at the same time, you know, it, the opportunity that I can have is to give somebody like you a voice. Mm-hmm. And that's what it's all about. Mm-hmm. Yeah. No, I absolutely I agree with that. I, I, I really do love social media and I'm, I'm such a, a strong advocate for it in those ways too, because I've, I've made lots of connections and ECBC has been an amazing opportunity for me to build those connections too. But social media, just, it's something else. It's less, it's less, um, I guess, I don't want to say less professional, but you can be a little bit more candid with social media and, you know, have those little bit more friendly interactions where you're not taking meeting minutes and (laughs) looking up for a lot of things like that. (laughs) But yeah, so I really love it too. (laughs) Perfect.
Well, um, so I kind of want to come back to something that you were talking about when you mm. were talking about your experience um, with the Dream Take Flight. I had never heard of this organization. So I think I'm going to have to now look this up because mm-hmm. um, that sounds amazing. But it's, I want to acknowledge that while you were saying that it wasn't, um, you know, an early childhood educator in your story, but it was a group of teachers, you know, yeah. who saw a need and said, you know, as educators, you collectively look and say, okay, who is it here that would benefit from, like you said, and I mean, I think it's so profound how you were saying, you know, yes, that was wonderful that you got to go to Disneyland, but it was that human connection Mm -hmm. that I think that made such a difference. And having Mm -hmm. those volunteers, you know, something as simple, like you said, like, holding your hand in the middle of a big crowd to make you, you know, to help you feel a sense of security and and Mm -hmm. to help you feel a sense of safety is something that so many of us can take for granted, but it can mean the world to somebody else. Yeah. Yeah. And I think, um, I spoke for the organization a few years ago at one of their largest fundraising galas as their keynote actually. And I think that they were even surprised to hear it because they were, their goal is to obviously to to provide children with this amazing day. And I think maybe the connection piece has maybe been secondary to their vision, but not at the same time. I don't know if I'm explaining it well, but um, I think maybe their perception of what children uh, have from that experience is that they got to go to Disneyland. It's amazing. Life is great. And maybe there are so few of us that you know, come back and we say like, this changed my life. What can I do for you? I need to pay it forward. I need to do this. I need to do that. And it just kind of takes them back. And, um, but you're right. Like it it is, it was about the connection piece and it, it, for me, it wasn't necessarily about the material possessions. I don't have anything from that day. Unfortunately, I have a few pictures, um, that I was resent, but it's, it's those memories. Mm-hmm. It's the, that security. It was, you know, it was the fact that people, I felt seen. Yes. I think that's what it was. Right. And then I felt heard and that was just powerful enough to take with me and to bring with me in my adult years and in my adolescence to remind myself that yes, my depression exists, but I was chosen for something so incredible and I can do something with that. So it's just been so impactful for me. Absolutely. And I like how you said about the materialistic part of that. And Mm -hmm. I think that's a very, that's a very big piece that I think sometimes, and I mean, I think we can all kind of be guilty of this is when we think about giving, um, and I, I, what a more appropriate time to think about this in the holiday season, right? <laughs> yeah. um, you know, when we think about giving and when we think about what can I give somebody or how can I help this person feel better? I think immediately it's not uncommon that our minds will wander to a sort of material gift, you know, mm-hmm. maybe not necessarily something that is high in monetary value, but, you know, if we're thinking about, um, uh, you know, if you're, you know, if your friend had a hard day and, you know, she happens to like red wine, you know, you show up at her door with a, you know, with a bottle of red wine you say, okay, this is going to help us feel better. Or, you know, uh, you know, have a glass to relax or, 
you know, again, through the holiday season where we're thinking of, you know, what can we, what's this material item that I can put under people's uh, Christmas trees if you celebrate Christmas or, you know, this idea, again, this idea of what is this like hard, you know, this hard copy of whatever it is that I can give you. Yeah. Um, And I think that's very true with children because especially when we're talking about wanting children to feel happy. And I mean, what better place that's been marketed as the happiest place on earth than Disneyland, right? Right. (laughs) Um, And I mean, that's not a bad thing. I mean, I think I've said this, I'm almost 31 and I've never been to Disneyland. Right. (laughs) Uh, And it's like, that's definitely on my bucket list of things to do. But at the same time, not, I mean, not understanding that a hug can go a long way, you know, Mm -hmm. A, a pat on the back can go a long way somebody holding your hand and just letting and just, you know, giving you that energy transfer, I want to say to help you feel like, you know, I'm here. Mm-hmm. I'm, I'm here. Strength. Yeah. Or yeah. I'm here to give you love or I'm here to give you kindness or I'm here to show you that you are valued. You are cared for. You are worthy. And mm-hmm. how much more impactful that can be than say, you know, a, a material item. Right. And, you know, while you're talking, I'm thinking about these moments when we're working on the front lines and I'm thinking of specifically, and I've been reflecting about this for a few years now is circle time. You know, how many items can we have and can we have all the children engaged at once? But really it can just be about connecting and it can just be talking about feelings. It can just be a sing, like a simple song and it doesn't need to be an extravagant moment right where you get your academy award or (laughs) things like that right and for me what I I bring into my practice is I make sure that I'm there for children as best as I can be during those vulnerable moments of a day where I think that you know a lot of us and I'm definitely guilty of it too just having those high expectations for a child's development so for things like getting ready to go outside or coming in from outside especially this time of year Children are asking for help, but we might say that we know that they're capable of it, but what they might actually be asking us for is, can you just connect with me and and tell me that you see me here today? You know, it's times like that and it's going to sleep and it's toileting, it's eating. It's, it's all these little moments that we don't have to be Mary Poppins and we don't have to be, you know, the next Janet Lansbury, (laughs) You know, I mean, she's very relationship based as well. So I guess I couldn't say that about her, but (laughs) or like Robert Munch, right? We're just like, yes, theatrical. And it's, it's, you know, award worthy. It's, it's just taking a moment to recognize that a child is asking for you. They're not asking for selfishness. They're not asking for all of your attention and all of your time. They're asking for you because they see you too. And so, you know, take that moment and and do your best to connect with them. And I think I like how you touched on that, you know, being with, you know, they want you to be with them because I think in that sense, you know, with EC in ECE, it's very reciprocal when it comes to connections and when it comes Mm -hmm. to, you know, the vulnerabilities that we show when it comes to the emotional connections, because I mean, I'm a very firm believer that children will feed off our, our energy. And, you know, if it, and it's amazing how sometimes even as an adult, when they give us a hug, how much that, like how calm that can help us feel or how special I want to say that can make us feel. 
Right. You know, I mean, I've, I had a situation where I, you know, I got a phone call from my mom saying we had, she had to put the cat down while I was at work oh and I was in tears because, you know, that's my cat. You're um, <laughs> exactly. Right. And, and I, like, I remember I was like crying. I couldn't stop crying. Yeah. And, you know, all these children came up to me and they were like, well, what's wrong? And, you know, I was very forward with them. And I said, my mommy just called me and she told me that, unfortunately, my kitty cat, um, you know, he died today. Mm-hmm. And, you know, they were sad. And the amount of love and care and empathy that I felt from these three to five year olds, right, who, you know, I'm crying over my cat. And I have a group of children who are there, like, ready to give me a hug or patting mm-hmm. my back and telling me, okay. And, you know, how wonderful that felt and the, the learning that happens too in those situations, because this in itself is also a learning experience, right? So like, mm-hmm. are, you know, we're learning about empathy, we're feeling for another person, you know, we're, again, showing that it's okay to be vulnerable, and it's okay to cry. And more importantly, adults cry too. Yeah. And, and that's okay. Yeah, exactly. I love that because it's so true. And and for me, I think those moments, especially just take me out of that work mode and I'm here for a job. I have a role. I, I must meet these expectations to, right. I work in human services, <laughs> human <laughs> services. Yeah. Little people. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> Little human services. Yes. <laughs> love it. Um, what was I going to say? So uh, again, I kind of want to come back to uh, what you were talking about in your practice and how you take, I want to, you say you were kind of taking those experiences and I guess kind of understanding that you could be the difference for a child in your world. Mm-hmm. Have you ever felt that that has been like, a major calling or something that can sometimes be very overwhelming. Cause I know personally I have, and I mean, it's hard not to, right. Because they always say like, you can't get emotionally involved. Well, how am I not supposed to, these are, these are children. Exactly. And you and know, I mean, we're, we're a big part of their childhood. Sorry. What were you going to say? <laughs> I was just going to say, and I mean, I think that's hard enough um, with, you know, without having past traumas, but I wonder if that could be harder, um, you know, with having those kinds of experiences, because you feel at a deeper level. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. And as you're talking about it, I'm going right back to, I want to say 2019. So it was still very recent. Maybe it was 2018, 2019. And I remember going to my director and my peers at work, constantly because I was working with a child who mirrored my behaviors as a young child and it was very triggering for me and I would have to you know tap out with people but it was also very important to me that I be there for this child because they needed that safety this child was a screamer in the program so um very audibly triggering for a lot of you know adults and other children but I was okay to hold that child as they screamed and I let them feel those feelings and things like that. But afterwards it was like, I'd run a marathon because yeah, I definitely would go back and and feel those things. And then I would have to think about, okay, what can I do next? I just have to maintain my, 
my foundation here. I have to maintain my calmness. I have to maintain that I'm human. And then it starts spiraling and then I get anxiety and then I have to take a day off work or something like that. But mm-hmm. it's definitely impacted my practices. I want to say more for the positive, but absolutely. I can think of that one experience just a few short years ago, working in a different larger, larger center in a three to five program. That was, I think it'll be one of those things that I take with me because mm-hmm we are always taking our biases and our, you know, our traumas with us and it will happen again. So, you know, how do I approach it next time? And um, how can I help others want to work with children who've experienced trauma and, you know, have these, these behaviors that are quite alarming and concerning and ones that we have to work with and, you know, intervene with and be there for. So it's, yeah. (laughs) Definitely. Yeah. Um, and I like how you brought up, you know, the need to take a day off after mm-hmm. having those, you know, you're intaking those emotions, right? Mm-hmm. And I mean, we hold on to them. Um, I, I mean, again, I'm a very big believer that we, um, oh my goodness, what is the word I'm looking for? Wow, I'm drawing a mind blank. <laughs> Monday, it's I'm okay. So sorry. <laughs> I'm like, yeah, seriously, <laughs> we, um, absorb. Thank you. This oh, there is we go. <laughs> we absorb, um, you know, people's emotions and mm-hmm. unless we're able to release it in some way, we carry it with us. Yeah. And that can be very hard, um, when it comes to education and more so with needing, I mean, I'm, I really think that we need to have separate mental health days of six days. Yeah. Um, especially depending on, you know, which program you work for, because some programs that serve certain communities are going to be a little bit harder than others. Yeah. Um, and I almost wonder, and I mean, you don't have to answer this if you don't want to, but have you ever felt that you were not supported with needing those mental health breaks? Yes, absolutely. I can 150% say that, you know, in my, in my years of practice, I can confidently say I've taken two mental health leaves of absence. Um, The last one I took was about a year, which kind of seeped into the pandemic as well. So it turned into a year and a little bit. But part of the reason why I, I had to take that mental health leave is because I I felt like I wasn't being heard and I felt like, you know, I could ask and I could ask and they could, they could ask and they could ask, but we weren't coming to any sort of productive conclusions as to what would best support me. Um, that wouldn't be a burden to the business or a burden on others. Um, because I think just naturally, if, you know, if everybody else is working full time and over time, that one person having less hours, it just kind of creates this stigma. Um, Yeah, I've definitely felt unsupported in that way. And I think that that's part of the reason why I've kind of hopped around BC a little bit and just put the feelers out there. And I've decided to take the reins of my own career and say, this is who I am. This is what I'm good at. This is what I can offer who's going to help me through this because I can't be an advocate for early childhood educators while not advocating for myself. And so I've really focused hard on who do I want to work for? What are the qualities 
that I'm looking for in a workplace? Um, what kind of supports are there? Who can I lean on? How much sick time am I going to take off? What does, what's the procedure? Can I observe this happening within a facility? And can I, can I just, I don't know. I just want to watch it happen. Cause often we're guilted for taking time off, but absolutely. Yeah. Um, I mean, I'm, I'm so new into this new role, but I feel like I've found it. I feel like, <laughs> I feel like I have, cause I've already had to take a couple days. My kids had fevers last week and they're just, okay, see you later. <laughs> what? <laughs> my yeah. What is this mine. joy? <laughs> yeah, exactly. I can just literally turn off my phone and be there for my kids without having to worry about being there for the kids because they need me and they, they need my energy and only I can do it. And like, that was the kind of pressure I was feeling is because I was, I was the one that was willing and taking initiative to work with the more challenging behaviors and in the group care situations or scenarios. And so, yeah, it's hard. I think I really do feel like it comes all down to reflective practice. Really? Absolutely. Yeah, definitely. Um, and I mean, uh, I kind of want to come back to this, to the conversation of, you know, the unsupportive culture, because there is still so much stigma, especially when it comes to mental health, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, especially when I think, um, and please correct me if I'm wrong, when we're talking about depression, depression is something that's just kind of seen as unhappy or sad. Yeah. When <laughs> in reality, I mean, it, it's so much more than that. And I can't speak to the experience um, because I'm very fortunate that I have not suffered through depression. Um, not to say that there has not been hardships, but I've just been one of those fortunate people that have not had that particular um, experience. Right. Or Right. So I almost wonder if there needs to be more awareness in the ECE community um, mm-hmm. specifically because we talk so much about how it's okay for children to be how they are and we need to honor that and we need to let them feel things and we need to let them have time off and we need to let them cry out, but we don't seem to have that same attitude when it comes to the educators. Educators yeah. are supposed to just have it figured out. Yeah. All together. To, <laughs> yep. <laughs> Show hey, up know, on drink. Monday. <laughs> exactly. For 50 um, hours. Totally. Yeah. Yeah. So I almost want to ask um, if you could speak a little bit more to that experience of maybe not, feeling heard or feeling like I have to have my act together. And on top of that, also being a parent. So, and that's a, you know, another set of responsibilities, right? Yeah. Well, I think what kind of, um, I, how do I say it? What kind of did it for me was I realized that I was part of that crazy workplace culture of working when you're sick, working overtime and getting underpaid or not paid at all. And just putting myself in that position of those high expectations when really I should have been a better advocate for myself. Um, And for me, I think that part of sharing my story is because I do have a diagnosis of depression and anxiety. And I've been going through this whole process for 10 plus years. And I've decided to just be open and honest with all of my employers, you know, and say, I don't do well with verbal conversations, but if you write it down for me, or if we can do this over email, that's better for my well-being. 
because, Absolutely. you know, if you're right, there is a stigma there. It's, oh, you're just sad or you just don't want to do it or you're just lazy. And it's like, no, mm-hmm. my brain literally doesn't have that chemical balance to motivate me to get out of bed. I could stay in bed for hours if I don't take my medication um, consistently. And it's, yeah, it, it, it really is about the awareness and about just, you know, checking in with each other. And I really do feel strongly about ensuring that everybody has that space and that safety to share their own stories and really why they work in childcare, because I feel like we all come from a place of, I do it because of this. And I do it because I want to make a difference. I do it because I want to give what I didn't have. And if we dug a little bit deeper, I think we'd be able to find better compassion for one another. I know that I definitely have over the time that I've started these practices as well. It's I'm placing a lot less judgment on others and a lot lower expectations because once you realize and put people into that human lens, you know, nothing else matters. It's they're human. And I think the pandemic has kind of shone (laughs) such a beautiful light on this topic too, because I think a lot of people have, you know, through isolation or quarantining and things like that, not being able to do their day-to-day things. I think a lot of our society has kind of given, been given the opportunity to see what depression is kind of the experience of it, you know? Yeah. Um, And I, think that's a wonderful way to kind of conclude this is to say that we just need to be you know we need to check our our biases and we Mm -hmm. need to have a deeper understanding and know that that person who may be having a hard time or who we have labeled you know subconsciously or you know in our minds as the the lazy one or the one who doesn't do anything, we don't know what's going on behind the surface absolutely, or underneath the surface of things. And if we could be that person who just reaches out and holds that hand, mm-hmm. like you felt that day that you went to Disneyland, what a difference yeah. that might be able to make to that person. Yeah. yeah. Right. We're yeah. all in this and together. I'll- we need to, it's, it's really about community. And you're right. It's not just about the children here. We really need to focus and put ourselves in that early learning framework. <laughs> yes. It's written for the children and the educators, but it's, it's really important for us to stay strong and be strong together. And yeah, absolutely. Um, well, again, I really appreciate you coming on and speaking with me so honestly and so openly again, um, I cannot thank you enough. And I think you're such a strong person um, for being able to advocate for yourself because, and, and that takes a lot of courage. I think sometimes the hardest thing in this world is to be able to stand up for ourselves and be able to say, I matter. This mm-hmm. is why I matter. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you so much for saying that. Cause that means a lot. <laughs> you're right. It is a lot of work to be vulnerable and to, you know, put yourself out there. So the reason why I definitely do it is um, one to raise awareness and two, I get that validation <laughs> for my depression from others for sure. I mean, I'm, I, but you know what? I, I can very much empathize with that because right? you, sometimes <laughs> you just need to hear you're not, you know, 
that you're not in the wrong. Yeah. Exactly. And that it is okay for me to be the way that I am or to feel the way that I am. Exactly. So exactly. I completely understand where you're coming from. And I think, again, that kind of comes back to children, you know, the children who's crying in the middle of the classroom and we let them know, you know, it's okay for you to be angry. It's okay mm-hmm. for you to be sad. Yeah. You know, it's it just like, it's okay for you to be happy and loved and cared for. It's also okay to feel those quote negative feelings. Yeah. Absolutely. Right. Because if at the end of the day, all feelings are valid, then we should feel the safety to feel everything that we are. Absolutely. We're the ones that are modeling for the children, right? We, we cannot model healthy human emotions while suppressing them for the children. So let's just be human. Definitely. Yeah. <laughs> well, thank you again so much, Ashley. Um, I really appreciate uh, you coming on here. And I'm very excited for you in this new um, career opportunity. And I'm very excited for you and your new little bundle of joy. Thank you so much for having me and for letting me share and for congratulating me on all the things. <laughs> it's a fun chapter. <laughs> Definitely is. Always on the up, right? <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> all right. Well, thank you so much. Um, and thank you again, listeners. <laughs> Thanks for listening in on this week's episode of Easy Honestly. If you have any questions or comments, send us an email at easyhonestly at gmail.com or DM us on Instagram at easyhonestly.com.